Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. Amen. Well, as our kids head back to Kids Church with Miss Kathy this morning, I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we're going to be as we uh, look this morning at stewardship. Now, if you're a guest with us this morning, uh, you might be thinking, oh, great, I show up to church and he talks about money. Uh, so, so let me, uh, well, yeah, but uh, let, let, me, let, me dis, let me put a disclaimer here, okay, that this is uh, the next part in a series that we're doing walking through the Baptist faith and message, which is the, uh, the statement of faith, the confession of faith that we have affirmed here at First Baptist Church. And so, no, I have not singled you out. I promise I've not been reading anyone's mail this week, okay? Uh, this is simply where we're going in this series. But this is a topic that uh, is probably controversial to, to an extent, right? When we start talking about stewardship, and, and primarily by that I mean financial stewardship, although that's certainly not the only way that we steward uh, things in our lives. Uh, so, so let me say from, from the get-go, it is not my intention to meddle in your financial affairs. But I hope that God will, okay? So I, I don't, I don't want to get in and, and I, don't, I don't care to know your, your financial records, but, but God does. And so this morning, um, if, if there is some adjustment that needs to take place, understand, it's not, I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes or anything like that, but I have been praying all week long that God would, uh, that God would speak that he would move and that he would change our hearts, our actions, and our attitudes where they need to be changed, okay? So, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, we're going to start in verse 6, and let's stand as we read the word that the Lord has given to us this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 6, reading down through verse 15. This is what the word of the Lord says. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed it freely. He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We pray that your word will speak to us this morning as we look at what it means to be good stewards of the resources that you have given to us. Use me as your instrument that we might not bow up when we hear certain things, but that we would allow you to come in and 
work in our hearts. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Now, to set this up, what's, what's happening is that Paul is uh, going around to different churches, and he's taking a collection to, to send on. He's taking a collection to, to, to kind of further his own ministry, but he's also taking a collection to, to assist with some ministries in area churches. And in chapter 8, which we'll read here uh, towards the end of our time this morning, he talks about uh, the saints at, a church, at churches in Macedonia. And he talks about how they gave out of their extreme poverty. And despite the fact that they didn't have much to their name, they gave generously to this ministry. They gave generously to this collection. And, and now Paul is almost um, using kind of competitive language now with the Corinthians, who, who were much wealthier than, than the Macedonians would have been. And so Paul praises the Macedonians in his letter to the Corinthians in chapter 8. And then, then in chapter 9, he, he begins saying, well, the, the point's this. If you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you'll, you'll reap generously. Uh, you remember these folks who, who are poor and yet they gave a great amount. You don't want to be outdone by them, right? So, I mean, Paul's almost using like a playful co competition here to, to talk about stewardship. Um, and so the, the first thing I want us to understand th this morning, I have three things, um, none of them are super complicated, but, but the first one, the first thing that we see here is a precept or, or a command, and that is that as the people of God, we are called to steward God's resources. Now, steward simply means that we take care of something that belongs to someone else. Uh, if you've ever been on a cruise... Uh, you have a steward who kind of takes care of your, of your room. One of the things that, that that steward does is they take your luggage uh, from the collection point and they get it on the ship and they get it in your room so that by the time you get to your room, your luggage is waiting for you. They, they take care of your things as though it was their own. That's the idea behind stewardship, that we, we're taking care of God's resources that he has entrusted to us during our time here on the earth. And Paul gives us a principle in, um, in verse 6 here. He says, the point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Uh, now, what's interesting is, uh, in, in, then in verse 7, he tells us, Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. Now this idea of, of being a cheerful giver actually goes all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy. So for instance, in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 10 and 11, uh, we're told this, Give to him, to the Lord, and don't have a stingy heart when you give. Because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you do. For there will never cease to be poor people in the land, that's why I'm commanding you, Open your hand willingly to your poor and needy brother in your land. So God's saying here that as we take care of those who are poor and needy, he's saying you're, take, you, you're, you're honoring him. And he says, I want you to give not stingily, not like asking how little can I give and still be okay, but generously. Now, now keep in mind that when the scripture calls us to steward God's resources by being generous with them. 
It also tells us about a God who is unbelievably generous toward us. In fact, Paul in Romans 8.32 says it this way. He said, He did not even spare His own Son, but offered Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him grant us everything? Have you ever stopped to consider the great generosity of the Father toward us? That while we were still sinners, He sent Christ to die for us. While we were separated from God, He sent Christ to bring us near. To bring us from death to life, as Paul writes in Ephesians 2, or to, to transfer us out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son, as he writes in Colossians 1. See, the whole idea of stewardship starts by understanding how gracious God has been to us. Um, I found this quote from, from a commentary, um, a gentleman talking about, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to read it because I think it's great. It says, today's culture is more like that pictured in a Victorian cartoon of two men sitting in a London club. One is holding a book in his hand and explains it's a new story by that Dickens fellow about a worthy banker named Scrooge who finally degenerates into a sentimental weakling. Think about that for just a second. It's a story about a man named Scrooge, a worthy banker, who at the end degenerates into a sentimental weakling. I, I, I wonder, I, I, he goes on to say there is no such thing as a Christian Scrooge. As followers of Christ, we're called to understand how generous God has been to us. And as stewards of His resources, we turn around and we are generous because of the things that He's given us. So, as I said, we're going through the Baptist faith and message. So, so what does that document say about stewardship? It says this, God is the source of all blessings, temporal and spiritual. All that we have and are, we owe to Him. Christians have a spiritual debtorship to the whole world, a holy trusteeship in the gospel, and a binding stewardship in their possessions. They are therefore under obligation to serve Him with their time, talents, and material possessions, and should recognize all these as entrusted to them to use for the glory of God and for helping others. According to the scriptures, Christians should contribute to their means cheerfully, regularly, systematically, proportionally, and liberally for the advancement of the Redeemer's cause on earth. By the way, that's the only time you'll see the word liberal in the entire uh, Baptist faith and message. Now, as we said, stewardship extends well beyond simply the financial realm. Uh, in fact, in our, uh, in our kind of purpose statement, where we say we want to be a church that loves, serves, and gives, uh, the three areas that we've said we want to give... Uh, that we want to give sacrificially in, or we want to give of our time, we want to give of our talent, and we want to give of our treasures. And then those three things were laid out right here in the Baptist Faith and Message as well. We want to give of our time, talent, and treasures. Now, because of the context of where I am in 2 Corinthians 9, I'm, I'm focusing most of my time on treasures, on the material possessions, more specifically on money. Um, because money is a great blessing. It's a wonderful servant, it is a terrible master. 
fact, Jesus even said, you can't serve both God and money. Paul in 1 Timothy, which we're going to look at uh, this fall, said the love of money is the root of all evil. Money itself is amoral. It can be used for good purposes. It can be used for bad purposes. But, but when you become mastered by money or mastered by possessions, we're, we're trying to take something that's meant to be a servant and, and make it a master over us. Uh, now, I have some statistics here. These are from 2014, so they're a couple of years old, but um, I, I, am, I would be willing to bet that these have not changed much in the last four years, okay? So uh, let, me, let me lay out the premise beforehand. As American Christians, we are by and large terrible stewards of the resources God has given us, okay? So let me, now, now there's, my, there's my provocative statement. Allow me to back that up with some data here, okay? Uh, only, this, this study in 2014 showed that only 3 to 5% of Americans who give to their local church do so through regular tithing. So, so if we had 100 people in the room, there would be 3 to 5 who regularly, systematically tithe. Tithe means 10%. I know. We'll talk in a minute, okay? Well, well, I'm, I'm getting there. So don't, don't write me off just yet. Get this. For Christian families making less than $20,000 per year, 8% of them gave at least 10% in tithing. For families making a minimum of 75% or more, the figure drops to just 1%. Remember what I said about the Macedonian Christians in 2 Corinthians 8? They gave out of their extreme poverty. The average donation by adults who attend U.S. Protestant churches in 2014 was about $17 a week. People are more likely to practice tithing when they begin the practice in their teens or early 20s. Um, let, me, let me stop and let me give my personal testimony here. Um, early 20s is when I became convicted about this. Um, I was serving on staff at a, at a church as a youth and music pastor, um, and, and I was probably close to the $17 a week type. I mean, we would, we would give, but not faithfully. And all of a sudden, just really out of nowhere, um, God kind of grabbed my attention and my heart and said, you're, you're serving in this capacity. You're an employee of the church serving these people, and yet you're not giving faithfully. So in our early 20s is when we uh, made, made a habit of tithing. And, and let, me, let me be honest, some months, a lot of months, there's a whole lot of praying that goes into when we'd write that check and now when we um, use, the, use the phone to, to give online. But can I tell you that I've found the Lord to be faithful to his word. Absolutely. Every time. Now check this out. This, this amazed me. People who tithe regularly typically have less debt than the other demographics. Eight out of ten have zero credit card debt, and 28% are completely debt-free, including not having a mortgage. So, so just, just hang on a second. Let me, let me tell you what happens here. Let me tell you what we see. If we're faithful to, to follow what I believe is a biblical precept, not, not being legalistic about it, I'm just saying we, we see the the tithe in the scripture. If we're faithful to do that, could, could it just be that when we give 10% back to the Father, He makes the 90% go farther? 
All right, so, so why is this such a big deal? Why do we believe so strongly? Why am, I, why am I talking so strongly about giving back to God out of our financial resources? Well, be, because when we serve as stewards of God's resources, when we're faithful to do what he's called us to do, we, we understand or we do a couple of things. The first one is that we observe God's ownership. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay? He created it all. He owns it all. It's all His. You're not giving anything to God. You're giving back to Him out of the resources that He's blessed you with. Okay? Psalm 24.1. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. Okay? So, we... we as we serve as stewards, as we're faithful to give back uh, to God, I believe primarily through the local church, and we'll talk more about that in a second, we, we observe, we recognize God's ownership. But then secondly, we obey God's orders. It's a, it's a step of obedience. It's a step of faith in giving. I said the tithe is biblical. Yes, I'm going to Malachi, okay? I'll I'll flesh this out a little bit more here in a second, all right? Malachi 3.10, the first half of that verse says this, bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Your translation of scripture there might say tithe. All the Christian standard Bible has done here is translated that for us into tenth. They just made a literal literal translation there. Tithe literally means tenth. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. All right, now, you might be asking, well, hang on, that's a New Testament verse. And we are, excuse me, that's an Old Testament verse. We're part of a New Testament church, and nowhere is the tithe mentioned in the New Testament. To which I would say, fair enough. You're right, it's not. We're not, we're not given that word tithe anywhere in the New Testament. However, here's what we do see in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 8, 7. Turn, if you still have your uh, Bible open to 2 Corinthians 9, flip back a page to 8, 7. And Paul writes this. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. Now keep in mind the context here. He's talking about financial giving, giving an offering to further ministry. He said as you excel in everything else, excel in this also, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. 1 Peter four ten, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. So, so what, do we, what do we gather from all these? Okay, so, so the tithe's not mentioned in the New Testament. Fair point. That is accurate. But what we are told repeatedly is to steward well, generously, the the gifts that God has given to us, the resources God's given us, as a response to the grace that we've received from God. So most of the time, when, when that argument, like I've, I've rarely heard it said, well, the, the word tithe isn't used in the New Testament, so maybe I should give 15%, right? 
right? It's, not, it's usually not turned that way. It's, well, the tithe's not mentioned in the New Testament, so I don't have to give 10%. And, and, and as I said, I'm not, I'm not trying to guilt trip anybody. I'm not trying to lay a legalistic requirement on you at all. I'm simply asking, if we see 10th in the Old Testament, and the New Testament commands us to give out of the blessings that God has given us through Christ Jesus, can we say that it's less than what we see in the New Testament? Or less than what we see in the Old Testament? Now, that was the precept, okay? That, that, that we steward God's resources. But when we faithfully steward the resources God has given us, we get to experience the promise. We get to experience the promise. And that promise is that we will experience God's blessing. Uh, look with me at verse 8. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. All, all we're saying here is when we're faithful to obey what, what God's called us to do, He blesses us through that. Now, I'm not going to go all um, prosperity preacher on you and say when you throw $10 in the offering plate, you're going to get back $100, Okay? Look, that would be awesome, right? That's not the way God's economy works. The blessing's not always in, well, if I give this away, I'm going to get it back tenfold. The, the blessing is, when I'm faithful to obey what God has said, I reap the righteousness of heart, of the, the harvest of righteousness that comes through my character being shaped into the image of Christ. So I, I use the first part of Malachi 3.10. Um, now I'm going to go back and we're going to look at the whole verse. Okay, So it says, uh, bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And then look at this. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. Now, I, I'm a pastor. I have a master's. I'm working on my doctorate. I, I, I don't call myself a expert when it comes to the Bible, but, but I know it pretty well. I feel like I know it fairly well. And to my knowledge, this is the only place in the Bible where God says, test me. In fact, in some other areas, we're, we're specifically commanded not to test the Lord your God, right? Like when Satan takes Jesus up to the, to the top of the, of the temple and he says, hey, uh, you know, if you're really the son of God, the, the Old Testament, the Bible says, you know, throw yourself off and, and he won't let you strike your foot. And, and Jesus says, uh, shall not test the Lord your God. In this area, when it comes to financial giving, God says, test me. Test me and see if I won't open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. Luke 6.38, this is what Jesus says. Give and it will be given to you. 
a good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So, so let, me, let me just challenge you for a second. Like what would happen if we actually, if we took Malachi 3.10 at face value and said, I'm, I'm going to trust that, that, that if I'm faithful to obey what God's word says, if I'm faithful to give back the tenth, let's see if he doesn't open up the floodgates. Let's see if, if by having a 10% reminder that God owns everything, okay, and the tithe is a 10% reminder that God owns 100%, let's see if he doesn't make the 90% go further. We have the precept. Be good stewards. Give generously. Give cheerfully. We have the promise that we'll experience God's blessing. But here's the last thing I want us to see. The product. The product of faithfully stewarding God's resources. And the product is this. Your generosity and God's glory will grow. As we steward the resources God's given us, your generosity and God's glory will grow. Uh, pick up in verse 12. We'll read down to the end of the chapter. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Did you, did you see that there? Paul's saying, hey, what the Macedonians are experiencing here is that this is causing people's thanks to God to overflow. Then verse 13, he says, because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. One of the things that was happening in the, in the first century particularly in the city of Corinth, is that Jewish believers were doubting the authenticity of Gentile conversions. So keep in mind, all right, Jews still had this picture that they are the people of God, the chosen people of God. And we know that in Jesus, God opened that up to not just Jews, but to Gentiles. And Gentile just simply means everybody else. And as Gentiles started to be saved, Jews were very skeptical. Like, is this for real? Is, is this really a thing? So they were watching the, the lives of the Gentiles very carefully. And Paul says to the Corinthians that this opportunity to provide for this ministry would offer one, not, not the only proof, but a practical proof of their authentic faith in Christ. Because let me tell you, for, for the world to see followers of Christ willingly giving up decent amounts of money baffles their mind. Wait, you, you, you do what? You, you put how much in an offering plate? Why? Because we believe 
that we don't own anything. We believe God owns it all. So, so when we give, we're not, we're, not, we're not giving God anything. God doesn't need your money. But you need to give it. And I need to give it. See, this is why we as Southern Baptists believe so firmly in cooperation. So as we saw during our announcement time, uh, we support missionaries around the world. And this morning we looked at two in Baltimore through the cooperative program. Through, through the cooperative program, we support not only missionaries in North America, missionaries around the world. We support six seminaries spread throughout the United States. Support a host of ministries like disaster relief, folks that will go in after there was a hurricane, or after a fire, after a tornado, and help folks begin rebuilding. We're able to take a part in that because we're Southern Baptists, because we have the cooperative program. This is what the Baptist Faith and Message says about the cooperative program. It says, Christ's people should, as occasion requires, organize such associations and conventions as may best secure cooperation for the great objects of the kingdom of God. They are voluntary and advisory bodies designed to elicit, combine, and direct the energies of our people in the most effective manner. Members of New Testament churches should cooperate with one another in carrying forth the missionary, educational, and benevolent ministries for the extension of Christ's kingdom. Christian unity in the New Testament since is a spiritual harmony and voluntary cooperation for common ends by various groups of Christ's people. Cooperation is desirable between the various Christian denominations when the end to be attained is itself justified, when such cooperation involves no violation of conscience or compromise of loyalty to Christ and his word as revealed in the New Testament. So, so for us, what that looks like primarily in our cooperation is that uh, we send 15% of everything that we give out the door. 12% goes to, our, uh, to the cooperative program, to our state convention, and then on to the Southern Baptist Convention. That's where we get things like seminaries and, um, and missionaries. Through the uh, Baptist Convention in New Mexico, we, we fund uh, some things like uh, some church plants here in New Mexico, some church revitalization work, um, some of the college ministry that happens on our campus, among other things, our camps, uh, civils and, and in-law. And then 3% we send to our local association. Now, now I said... So, so this is part of our, our cooperation. I would love to see that grow. What would it look like if one day we were able to send 20% out the door? See, as, we, as we, I said, as we serve as good stewards, the product of that, or uh, one of the things that's produced is that our generosity grows. And, and we see this in statistics as well. Listen to this. So of those who tithe, as we said, only, only 3 to 5% of, of American Christians in 2014 tithe. That means they gave 10%. But of those who do, 77% give 11 to 20% or more of their income. So, so get this, of those who tithe, not only do they have little or no credit card debt, not only do they have a far less debt than the average American, but they give more than the baseline that we see in Scripture, the 10%. Now, now let me address a question that you may have. And, and that is simply this. But I can't afford to give, so what do I do? Um, as I said earlier, as Americans, we are terrible stewards. And, and let, me, let me lay this out for you a little bit. 
American households who carry credit card debt, any, any kind of credit card debt, have an average of $16,000 in credit card debt. Okay, of those families who have auto loans, the average is nearly $28,000. Of those who carry student loans, the average is $47,000. Okay, now, those are significant amounts, okay? Um, so, so I understand that there are probably some in our room this morning that, that have significant amounts of debt. But let me tell you, and, and so oftentimes when, when that's the case, I, we think, well, I can't afford to give because I have these bills and I have this much money and I can't afford to give. Most of the time I think what we'll do is we'll say, well, I'll give when all this is paid off. I'll give someday. I've got to take care of some stuff first and then I'll give generously. Let me tell you why I don't think that flies. Go to 2 Corinthians 8 with me. As I said, we've talked about the Macedonian believers. We're going to look at them very quickly here as we close. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Paul writes here, We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial... Brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, take a look at that sentence again with me. Does any of this make any kind of worldly sense? Their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity. They're extremely poor, but they have abundant joy, and their generosity overflowed. He continues, I can testify that according to their ability, and even beyond their ability, of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints, and not just as we had hoped. These people are extremely poor. They had abundant joy in the Lord. And they begged Paul. So, so the, the idea we get here is, is almost that, that Paul went in and saying, listen, I know you guys are, are, are struggling. We'll understand if, if, if you're not able to give much. And they said, no, 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 we want to give. So they gave... In fact, he says they even gave beyond their ability. And look at the last part of verse 5. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So, so l let me tell you what we see here. Is that if you want to become a person who's more generous in your giving and, and and I will say, I believe the primary place a believer should give is to the local church. Because the local church is God's design, God's plan for reaching communities, nations, 
and the world with the gospel. So I believe when, when we see tithe, and again, I'm not trying to lay a legalistic argument on you, but, but when, I see, when we see tithe in the scripture, I believe that's to God's church. And I believe the rest, any other uh, charitable contributions that you want to make, if you want to sponsor a child through Compassion International and through World Vision like, like we do, that, that's, I believe, above and beyond what God's called us to give to the local church, to support the ministry of the local church. So, so why do we give? Do we give because God needs it? No, He owns everything. He doesn't need your money. But we should give, and, 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 I, and dare I say we should tithe because it's a reminder to us that God owns everything. And from my own experience, there are few things that will stretch your faith regularly and consistently, like joyfully giving. Even when you can think of a dozen other places that that money could go. So I simply want to ask you this morning to prayerfully consider taking God at his word. And faithfully giving to his work in and through the local church. And yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll issue this challenge. Prayerfully consider tithing. Giving 10%. Not, not as some sort of legalistic rule, but as an act of faith in our God. As a, as a baseline. As a launching point. To serve our God who's generously given of himself for our sake. And as we're faithful to do what he's called us to do. As we're obedient, may he be faithful to do what he said he will do. And that is to allow every blessing to overflow in us. That we might cry out with Paul in 2 Corinthians 9.15, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. And again, I know this is, a, this is a topic that is maybe uncomfortable for some of us. It's not my favorite topic to, to preach on. And yet it's something that we see clearly in your word. Maybe for many of us in the room this morning, the, the idea of 10% is scary. So in that case, would you, would you give us the faith to take a step to trust you step by step, day by day, trusting that you will do exactly what you said you would do. And that as we've seen this morning, that, that if we're faithful in giving, if we're faithful to follow and you give 10%, you make the 90% go farther. I pray that's a reality. I pray that through a 10% reminder that you own everything, that it causes us to, to be more careful, to evaluate more closely the way we're spending the resources that you've given to us. Help us to be people who follow you in every area of our lives. 
We thank you so much for Jesus, for sending him when we were lost, when we were dead in sins and trespasses, and we were in the domain of darkness, for sending Christ to do what we could never do for ourselves, for your generosity in providing the way of salvation for us. Show us how to live in every area of our lives in light of that truth. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.